This episode is brought to you by Select International Tours. Find out more about joining me on pilgrimage, along with our spiritual director, Brother John Michael Paul, the pro-provincial of the Americas. For the community of St. John, visit selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS to learn more. That's selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. Gabriel Media presents The Brooke Taylor Show Encounter, Adventure, Evangelize And now your host, Brooke Taylor Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show This is episode number 238 Welcome to the month of November Of course, we have Thanksgiving right around the corner We have the first week of Advent already That will be on November 28th But it is also a month dedicated to the poor souls Not just on All Souls Day, but the entire month of November, do we remember the practice of praying for the souls in purgatory, also to contemplate our own mortality. And I actually have a few books to recommend right out of the box about that. One is The Dogma of Hell, Illustrated Facts Taken from Profane and Sacred History. And yes, it is as scary as it sounds, but man, is it powerful. Also equally powerful, The Preparation for Death, Considerations on Eternal Truths by St. Alphonsus Liguori. And these books hold nothing back, as you might imagine. They bring you into memento mori. Remember your death in a way you may not have ever heard in your life, but used to be quite common throughout all of history. And this is important. Contemplatives remind us that the busyness of life tries to overwhelm us until our final moments. Think about that. So we need to prepare now to settle our debts to frequent confession and to detach ourselves from the world. That's one of the things that I keep thinking about is our citizenship is in heaven. Sacred scripture tells us. And we see that in the numbers in our culture as the affluent accumulate things increasingly, the depression rates rise. No amount of material possessions can buy peace. And I think especially then orienting us towards Advent, Christmas, what an opportunity this brings to contemplate what really matters, the pearl of great price. And so, So that's what today's show is going to focus on. This episode is actually a best of bringing back an interview from a few years ago with Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. She is a religious sister with the Daughters of St. Paul. And in this interview, not only will you hear her mission to bring back the ancient practice of memento mori, but her own conversion story. And I offer this as a source of encouragement for especially parents whose children have left the faith, whether it's abandoned the Catholic tradition or all faith in general, God, this, I pray, will bring you great hope. That's her story from atheism to religious life, and then the mission of memento mori, which she calls a conversion within a conversion, and also the remedy of the age in which we're living in, the culture of death, and how the practice of memento mori is a Christian response to the world to witness to. What an opportunity then now, in this month, today, here, at this moment, to dispose ourselves interiorly to the graces in store for us this month. So let's jump in. A religious sister with the Daughters of St. Paul, welcome to the show, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. Thank you so much for having me on, Brooke. That is quite a leap from pagan to nun. Right. (laughs) Well, I, I was raised Catholic, and when I was 14, I became an atheist. And it really was for a variety of reasons, but it was partly because of the 
problem of suffering, but also just because I'm naturally kind of a skeptical person. I have I have difficulty believing things. I don't immediately believe anything really. And my father was a theologian. He had all the answers to my questions, but I was never really very satisfied. And so at the age of 14, it really was the problem of suffering that led me to believe that I don't I don't think there could possibly be a loving God. I don't really see what the resolution to the problem of suffering could be. So God is either a, a terrible, ruthless God who allows terrible suffering to happen or he doesn't exist. And I think it's more likely that he just doesn't exist. So I became an atheist, and it wasn't until after college that I had a conversion experience. I'll pause there because I'm thinking as a mom, as a parent, and I'm sur- I'm not a theologian. If your dad, <laughs> right, <laughs> it's no wonder. It's no wonder that you know we as parents, the virtuous ways and the mighty ways that we pray and we prophesy over our children. That is, it's so painful to see that. So what was the response when you announced that? Did you ever make kind of a formal announcement or was it just kind of a quiet thing where you thought, I just reject this right now? Unlike, I think most kids actually kind of quietly do this, but I'm generally pretty upfront about what what what's happening with me so with my with my parents and it also kind of came to a head because I was supposed to be confirmed at that age and I and I said to my parents I don't believe in God so I don't think that it makes sense for me to be con- confirmed actually I said it a little bit more emphatic than that I said I'm not going to be confirmed they were they were obviously devastated because it was very the faith was very important to my parents and we were raised with it you know just kind of infusing our family life so for me to become an atheist was a a, a real shock for them and a real sorrow but i also have written a book called the prodigal you love inviting loved ones back to the church and it's for people who want to invite their loved ones back to the church. And so parents talk to me a lot about their sorrows with their children who are away from the church. And the one thing that I can say is, first of all, don't blame yourself. Maybe you did something wrong. Certainly you did something wrong. You know, parenting is not, you can't be a perfect parent. It's, it's impossible. We're not perfect people. We're all sinners. But the most important thing is to become a saint ourselves and to reach out to our loved ones that way, really. As you're demonstrating, we have we had a wonderful guest on the program a while ago, Dr. Aaron Cariotti, and even he says mm-hmm. that reminder to take the long view, take the long view. And obviously, at the time when you proclaim this to your parents, they could never probably have imagined at that moment that their daughter would one day become a nun. But I just think right. the beautiful truth <laughs> is our story isn't over yet. God's not finished with us. Absolutely, so many parents can be despairing of where their kids are and. And what I would say to them when I first entered the convent was before, sometimes parents wouldn't even know that I used to be an atheist. And I would say, I used to be an atheist. So really there's, there's, uh, there's so much hope for your children. And they'd be like, well, I bet you weren't as bad as my kid or, you know, like, and I was like, no, actually I was pretty bad. So there is hope for anyone. Miracles happen. Miracles happen. And I'm definitely an example of that. So yours was then, it sounds like in college. So you're on this odd truth. And is that where you start to then revisit the faith? When does that come back into the picture? My conversion was, it was a gradual intellectual conversion because I was trying to, I was very involved in animal rights and 
I was hanging around a lot of people who believed that speciesism is a thing. So basically that human life is no more valuable than animal life. And that really the what what determines the value of life is sentience and the ability to feel pain. So I was intellectually struggling with that because I think deep down I had an intuition of the human soul, but I knew that it was contrary to materialism. Like my atheism was just not compatible with the idea of there being a, a, an immortal soul that somehow made human life more more valuable. So I was struggling with that and more complicated than that. But basically what happened was I got to the point where I was really almost despairing because I was trying to understand the truth of life and the truth of whether the soul existed and whether God existed. And I just couldn't intellectually come to the point of believing in, in God's existence. But I was in Costa Rica at one point, and while I was there, I had a conversion where it really was from one moment to the next. I, I just knew that God existed. It was a huge grace that God just poured the Holy Spirit into my heart. And in that moment, um, I, I, I looked around me and I saw the beauty of of the Costa Rican countryside. And I just thought to myself, this doesn't just happen out of nothing. Like God exists and he loves me and he has a plan for my life. And it wasn't an intellectual thing. It was like, it was actually an introduction. It was almost as if I were experiencing God's existence. He was introducing himself to me. So after that, I I knew that God existed and my the course of my life completely changed. So how was that re-entry back? And then obviously you fell in love head over heels. So take us into that because I always love when those fireworks go off and the sky is bluer and the grass is greener moments. When did that happen for you? So after I believed that God existed, I didn't immediately become Catholic again. In fact, there are a lot of intellectual and emotional obstacles to that. So I, I was that was not in my plans at all. And neither was religious life. So it took me a little while to get to that point. But but now that I had a relationship with God and now that I knew that there was this being who is pure goodness and pure love and pure truth and pure logos, he he knew much more than I could ever know. And so I could trust him. My relationship with him is what led me to the Catholic Church and led me to submit to the authority of the Catholic Church and to believe what the church teaches. Because again, I had so many intellectual obstacles to all the things. And when I first felt God leading me back there, I thought, how could I just, I can't be Catholic. There's so many things I don't agree with. But I knew that God was there. And the main reason I knew that God was there was because of the Eucharist. I knew that 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 was Jesus Christ and I couldn't I couldn't belong to a church just because intellectually I didn't agree necessarily with all the teachings of the church. I couldn't just go to another denomination because I, that's basically what I had done as an atheist. I had just decided what I believed based on what I could understand. And now I now I understood that things could be true, even though I didn't quite intellectually understand them yet. So I started to go to people I trusted and ask them, why do you believe that? <laughs> because I don't understand how you could believe that. And gradually God changed my heart and I became Catholic and I was confirmed and I joined the church. And I think that dictum, the church wasn't made for us. We were made for the church. Sounds like it applies where you as Clay were starting to be molded in ways that conformed to Christ in his teaching. And that 
that slow because it sounds like there was some resistance at first in terms of which is is a beautiful truth and acknowledgement because we want to be thinkers we're called to be that and then through that set forth on fire as a living torch and so it sounds like you were just slowly conforming to his image yeah it's it's our faith that guides and shapes and elevates our reason and and that's really what my belief in God allowed me to do that. It allowed me to trust that I, I, I don't, I'm not going to necessarily understand things immediately. If God is leading me and if God is saying this through his church, then I believe that it's true. And the same was true with my vocation. I didn't want to become a religious sister at all, but I felt God leading me there. And I knew if God is leading me there, that's what's going to make me happy, even if I can't even imagine how. <laughs> Wow. I, and I underlined and just quoted what you said, our faith elevates our reason, which is so true. For you then, how did you land in the order that you did? And I guess in religious life at all? Yeah. I, you know, it wasn't even on my radar. I was really in love with God. I was really involved with my parish and I was looking for a good husband. That was, I, I didn't even consider anything else really. And it didn't even cross my mind. But I was riding on the subway to work one day. I was working in the Bay Area and I saw a sister out of the corner of my eye. It was like, I was imagining it was a missionary of charity and and I turned to talk to her and it was just a normal person. And it happened several times that I thought I saw a sister, a religious sister in a habit and then I didn't. I just thought, oh, I, I must just be thinking about God a lot. And then it finally occurred to me that, that God might be, sending me a message. And my first reaction was just, you know, not delight at all. I was just very displeased at the idea and very (laughs) resistant, (laughs) very upset. (laughs) Yeah, that wasn't in your plans for sure. No, yeah. (laughs) We have our plans, you know, and it's funny because we just had Michelle Fainley and Emily Jaminet revisiting the story of St. Faustina and how for her being at a dance, here she was in the midst of this social occasion and she sees Jesus there and he's saying, how long must I wait for you? And so it sounds very similar where it was a very direct, he called your name. And honestly, Bert, if he hadn't been direct, it just never would have happened. <laughs> Doesn't that though, those things, I remember coming back to the church and thinking, these grand stories, they just don't happen to me. They happen to other people. And then- <laughs> with our own story that happening and it was like I couldn't it was almost like an out-of-body experience but it's so beautiful how personal he loves us all but you gave yourself to him first and so you were open to those interior movements yeah and he communicates with us in the ways that we need him to and I definitely needed him to be very direct and in my face and you know some people don't and and that's beautiful too but yeah in that case I definitely and he knew that he needed to be very direct with me. And so I, I kind of very reluctantly started to discern religious life. And it was very confusing to me because there's so many different orders and so many different ways of living religious life. And I didn't know much about it and started to visit lots of different communities. And finally, I just kind of threw my arms up uh, Jesus, this is your idea. So you need to just lead me to whatever order you want me to go to, or else I'm going to give up because I'm not even super invested in this search. And almost immediately, he he led me to the Daughters of St. Paul. And, and again, there, I, I wasn't immediately attracted to their charism or, or really, there wasn't anything, but I knew that God was leading me there. And so I said, okay, I'm going to trust you. And 
it, it was almost immediately when I went to visit them, that was the sign when I went to visit them that there was this very familial feeling as if I was sitting at a dinner table with my family. And and that helped me understand that there's there's a spiritual reality that I might not be understanding. Now I understand why the charism, their charism is to evangelize using modern media. And the modern media part didn't super attract me, but the evangelization part definitely did. And now it all does because I can understand why our founder wanted us to be involved in it because there's a lot of, that's where the people are, is on digital media. Pope Benedict called it a digital continent. So that's what we do. And that's absolutely your gift. There's no question about that. Speaking with Sister Alethea Noble, now with not only your vocation as a sister in the Daughters of St. Paul, but this interesting fruit, this mission of the discipline of remember your death, memento mori. Can you tell us how you became drawn into this and a bit of the history behind memento mori? Yeah. So when I first started doing this, started to meditate on my death, I did it because our founder, Blessed James Alberione, kept a skull on his desk and meditated on his death. So at the time, I just thought, wow, that's super punk rock. I'm just going to do that at some point just because it's cool. And I didn't really have much of a motivation beyond that, but the Holy Spirit did, and he had a plan. And so at, at one point, I was really struggling in the convent, and he, I felt the inspiration to start doing that. So I put a skull on my desk, and I started to meditate on my death every day. And I, I decided to tweet about it, mainly be, just because I wanted to make sure I remembered to do it. I thought, I'll do this for two weeks, and I ended up doing it for over 500 days. As I was doing it, I... I was learning more about the practice in the church and how far it goes back. You know, it really, it kind of had its heyday in medieval times, but really it goes back all the way to the beginning of salvation history. You know, it really is very deeply a Christian tradition. And when when God says to Adam, as, the, as Adam and Eve are leaving the garden, remember, you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so this is like a... a this theme that runs throughout scripture to remember our mortality. I have found that remembering my death each day is, I call it a conversion within a conversion because just as atheism completely changed my life, this has really changed my life. And it's it's the reason why I, I try to help people to start doing the practice because it's not something that you can just do every once in a while because really thinking of your death at just every once in a while just kind of scares you and depresses you. But to do it every single day and to bring it before the cross and and to do it in the context of the cross, it's a beautiful and a hopeful-filled practice that fills your life with focus and joy and helps you to make decisions in light of holiness because we never know when, when we're going to die. In a culture of death, which is what we're living in right now, and suicides in the West and an all-time high, is there ever any confusion where people coming in and being introduced to this devotion are thinking that we're glorifying death. We know we're not. We're glorifying the promise of life after death, but especially with our young people that they're thinking about death, but but in a really scary way in terms of like ending their life. How do you express the truth behind this and how it actually helps us to live a greater present and gift of the day and sacrament of the moment. 
I, I hear this objection a lot, and, and I hear concern from people about the symbol of the skull. People think that it's satanic. People are concerned about, they, they say, sister, why are you so obsessed with death, and you should be focused on life. And I actually think that this practice is the Christian response to the culture of death. So to focus solely on life and solely on the resurrection skips over death. Jesus went to the cross first before he rose from the dead. And similarly, in our own lives, I I think it's really necessary for us to meditate on our own death before we can fully understand what living is. And I think in our culture, we don't understand what death is. When, when when these kids are are committing suicide and 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 very death focused in general, they're not seeing death as it truly is. And so that's really what memento mori helps helps people to do is face the reality of death and the evil that death is. God did not plan for for death to to be in the world. Sin is what allowed death to enter into the world. But memento mori helps us to realize that. Jesus Christ has saved us from that death, and he has opened the doors to eternal life. And so Memento Mori helps us to focus on eternal life so that we can avoid what the church fathers and what tradition calls the second death, which is dying in mortal sin or um, dying in, in, in sin. I I consider Memento Mori as kind of combating the culture of death, but it's doing it in a way that's pretty intense. It's kind of going into that culture and taking back what is ours. You know, the symbolism of skull is ours. We're taking it back from the Satanists. We're taking it back from, there's so many goths on social media who share Memento Mori stuff as if it's their thing. This is our thing. But the thing, the difference is that where they might be obsessed in, about death in this unhealthy, disturbing way, we're obsessed with death because we know that it leads to life. And so really, death for us is life. St. Paul tells us death is gain. Life is Christ and death is gain because of Jesus Christ. You do speak to a lot of young adults, so any hypothesis as to why this seems to resonate, and it sounds like you just said it, it just hits that demographic so deeply. Our hearts are restless, O Lord. You know this isn't the truth. And then when you find Memento Mori and you see the truth revealed, I mean, our hearts, like a magnet, just grab it. Is is that why you think these young people, it's like, okay, this is it, that they just grab onto it? Yeah, I I think the reason the Holy Spirit led me to this is because it's a it's a really powerful way to proclaim the gospel in a really intense, direct way that people immediately understand. And I think we're living in a culture that even among Christians and young people, there's so much doubt and there's so much skepticism and an inability to believe in God and difficulty believing in God that this practice is kind of, it's very basic. It's right at the bottom and it helps you enter into it through something that's that's accessible to all of us. We all die. And so to face that reality, okay, we all die. What do I think about that reality? What do I believe about that reality? What does my faith tell me about that reality? And do I really believe it? Can I meditate on it so that my faith in that reality can be strengthened? Because that's what this practice does, is it strengthens our faith and helps us to, to really believe on not just on a notional level, but on a real level, 
what we're told about heaven and about God and Jesus Christ. So I think I think that's why I also think it they just uh, they love being told the truth in a really like direct way. And I think Memento Mori does that for young people. So I think they like that, too. Yeah, I know Father Nathan Crowley, a friend of the show, and he says our young people want to be challenged. And that was one of the great fruits of Pope John Paul II coming to World Youth Day. He challenged them and yeah. challenged more. We need to be challenged in a holy way. And you do that. And I know your own fruits from this have yielded a great harvest and still continuing. But this book, Memento Mori, Prayers on the Last Things. Basically, I compiled a prayer book so that I have prayers on each of the last things. And the the journal that I released earlier had some prayers on death and, and preparing for a good death. And there's so many beautiful prayers and tradition that have kind of just been lost. But so many saints wrote gorgeous prayers on preparing for death. And so I have a section on, on death, but then I also ha- decided to put a section on all of the last things, because really meditation on death for the Christian should be an entrance into meditation on all of the last things, which are death, judgment, hell, and heaven. That used to be a practice that was very widespread and very normal. Now, when we talk about it, people kind of get jittery and they're like, well, that's that's terrifying. You know, I don't want to meditate on hell. But in reality, if you start with meditation on death, it helps you to enter into those meditations and to really do them in the context of God's love for us and in in the context of hope. And when we do that, the last things are not these kind of scary things that that could make us shiver in our boots, but but really, although we should we should have fear of God and we should have awe, but the last things it, at its core is about a filial love for God, about loving God so much that we we trust him, that he has died for us and that he's going to give us the grace to live for heaven every day. But we're also going to do our part in the sense that we're going to think about heaven every day and we're going to think about our death every day. And we're going to try to live for heaven by reminding ourselves that we could die at any point and to ask God to prepare us for that. So that's really what this prayer book is about, is to help people to enter into that meditation, not just on death, but on all of the last things, and to kind of think of their life in the context of this eschatological view of life, which I think if we think of our life in that context, it completely puts everything in perspective. It makes decisions easier. It makes living for holiness easier. And it really is a joy-filled practice. So that's what I'm hoping that this prayer book will help people to do, it will help people to enter into that meditation and enter into that prayer around all of those subjects. And I'm on your website, pursuedbytruth.com. You have a books section, so it looks like they're all there. Yes, definitely. And what's a note of hope that you might be able to leave us with as we conclude? I think just as we enter into the month of November, you know, this is a time to remember all all the people who have died in our life and to pray for them and to go to cemeteries and pray eternal rest for all the people that we love. But also, as I, I encourage everyone who's listening to really try to enter into this meditation on death and to do it in the context of God's love for us. And in that context, I really pray that each one of you will begin to see death in a new life, a new light, even even the death of those who are close to us, premature deaths, tragic deaths, 
God works through each of those things and God brings grace into our lives, into other people's lives, even people we could never even imagine. And to pray for for our loved ones that they may be welcomed into God's arms, into the light of Christ, into the beatific vision, and that we will someday meet them again. Amen. And I think too, as a PS, you know, the soul's in purgatory because we don't hear that as much. Well, God bless you, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. What a gift you are. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brooke, for having me on. God bless you. Thank you, Sister Teresa Alethea Noble from the Daughters of St. Paul. Again, you can find out more at pursuedbytruth.com. Next week on the program, guess who's here? I'm so excited. Lieutenant Commander Ali Ghaffari for a full episode on the podcast. Now, this will be our second interview in recent weeks because he joined me on Relevant Radio. That was when I was guest hosting for Timory on her show Trending. And if you haven't heard it, if you feel a little extra ambitious, you can find that. I will link it up in the show notes. But I really want to drill down into the American education system. He has so many different branches of his story that we could focus on. And I want to touch on a bit of his own testimony. But now he is a headmaster of a school and has done a lot of research on not only the current agendas and plans of our social institutions, but what he sees coming in the next several years as well. Really fascinating. So that will be on the next episode. Thank you for joining me today. God bless you as you enter into the month of holy souls. A reminder that our existence must be a novitiate for eternity. May we be worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. Big thanks to my producer, Mark Cumming, for his dynamic skills and quick work. This episode is brought to you by Select International Tours. For more information on going on pilgrimage, visit selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. That stands for Brooke Taylor Show. That's selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. God bless you, friends. Until next time, peace and love.